Thanks for, thanks for coming here this morning. Uh, I am, I'm Pastor Ben. Uh, my, my parents, Pastor Steve and Mamie, are the, the lead pastors of the church, if you, if you don't know. Uh, there is a relation. I am their, their son. Um, they're, they're out. It, it's really great. They're out. Uh, there was a, a healing conference nearby, just out of state, that they both went to. Uh, they just wanted to get their own hearts stirred up, get their own faith stirred up in and of themselves. And man, what a great opportunity it was. So here I am, you get me for the week, and I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about it, because I do want to continue in the, they asked me to continue in the series of what we've been talking about, which is the armor of God. And so today, I'm excited, and I know that, I, I, I'm excited for it because today we're going to be talking about the shield of faith. And it, it was kind of funny, the conversation with my, with my mom, Pastor Mamie, she said, okay, so we'll be, we'll be out, this is last week, we'll be out next week, so you get the shield of faith, and then we'll be back for the helmet of salvation, and then, oh, you get the sword of the Spirit. She goes, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like that. You get, you get the ones that I like. <laughs> but I'm excited about it, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about it, and it's a necessary thing. This is actually, uh, out, out of the, 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 the armor that is talked about, I feel like the shield of faith is one that we can think about very quickly, but it goes pretty deep. And, and the picture, this is actually, I, I didn't realize this as I looked it up. Whenever they referenced the shield of faith to the people in this day, this is what they would have pictured. Now that little center part is missing a brass, a brass uh, covering for it. But this is what was called the Roman scutum. And it's a shield that's about three to four feet high, about maybe around two feet wide and it was curved and it was kind of really for the Romans it was it was a staple mark of their warfare and it made a lot of sense for them because you could plant that thing down and get behind it and you would be entirely covered from any attack that's coming at you by an arrow or just even simply holding it at their side if they held it at their side because it was curved all they had to do rather than shift the shield up the block they could just turn very quickly, and they had their gladius that they could attack with. It was, for them, it was a really well-crafted piece of equipment to provide as much protection as possible for that soldier. And so as we're going through it, let's, uh, let's real quick, just the pieces of armor here on the slide, just so we, we get the idea, um, running through all, all uh, six. First one, we had the belt of truth. Pastor Stephen Mamie had talked about the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, the gospel of peace, were on the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Somebody else had, had mentioned this, and I didn't think about this, but if you think about it, every piece of that armor is meant to be forward-facing. It's not providing protection from the rear. It's meant to be forward-facing. And I think it's a, just a, a small little ode to what God wants you to do in your life. He knows that you're going to... Here's the thing. He wouldn't give a scripture talking about armor... And you wouldn't expect it to be to wear armor unless there's a pretty strong possibility that you're going to be attacked. You're not going to carry around a shield unless you plan that there could, something might go down here that I need to be ready for it. And the whole point of the armor facing forward is that God doesn't want you just sitting in one place. He wants you to continue to press on through life. Because I don't know about any of you, life is not always fair. It doesn't deal you circumstances that you expect. But God calls us to keep moving 
forward. So for sake of just reminding us, let's, let's, I'm going to read here in Ephesians. You can turn there if you want, Ephesians 6.10. We're just going to go through the highlight of what the Apostle Paul was talking to us here about, this, about the armor. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Man, you could sit there for a second and just realize that the strength that I live my life in isn't just my strength, but it's his strength in me. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of an evil in the heavenly places. Man, if that doesn't just set the battlefield for you. And today what I want to do is, as we talk about the shield of faith is give some insight into what is going on in that battlefield and how you can use that shield to guard yourself in this battlefield. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day and having done all, to stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes on your feet, having put on readiness, given the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we'll be getting to the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit here in the next couple weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel. I was like, very few of us remember that. Little, little Adam West there for us. No, but for the shield of faith today, there's really, there's really three things that I want us to hone in on and three things that I want us to get. I want you to take away number one, that Jesus Christ is the center and the core of all of the pieces of the armor, especially the shield of faith. You can go ahead and show that on the slide there. Because really, at the end of the day, our lives are, not, are meant to be modeled after him. It wasn't just a suggestion whenever he said that he literally wanted us to be in him. That our identity becomes in him. And I think this is the hardest part because in society today, it pushes against Christ at all costs. It glorifies the human condition. Culture, social media, all of it glorifies the human condition. Live your truth. Be woke to those around you. Have social justice in all circumstances. And all it does is glorify the human condition. And if you would, if you, would, you, would you would look at society today, and society would tell you, we are more enlightened today than we've ever been. But however, what I would think is that yeah, we may say that we're more enlightened, we're more aware, we're more progressive, but if I look at the world, I would tell you that inequality, hatred, fear, rebellion, mental oppression, they're more prevalent than they've ever been. Something isn't working. I just read an article today. It said that teenage girls have the highest rate of mental depression in suicidal thoughts that they've had in the last 10 years. I thought, I, I thought society was empowering women. Why, why would this be the case? 
It says that it, out, of, out of the LGBTQ plus community, it says that that community has a suicide rate nine times higher than the rest of the population. I thought we were praising their truth and allowing them to be who they want to be. Why is that happening? Something isn't right. And it's because it all comes down to identity. We're trying to take these issues that Jesus Christ is supposed to be our identity over, and we're trying to glorify them and make them who we are, these issues, these pieces, these what they are considering pillars of the, of, of, of the future society, and they're trying to misplace what Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Because I tell you this, inequality is erased by the gift of salvation. Jesus Christ died for all people. In fact, he went so far as to say, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there's not even male and female in Christ. We are all in Christ. The playing field is leveled. We've all sinned. And there is only one Savior that can, that can change it all for us. Hatred is supposed to be replaced by his love, not the world's definition of love. Fear is replaced by the confidence that we know that we have him available to us whenever we call upon him. Rebellion. Man, I see, you see so much of this right now. Be rebellious towards authority. Question authority. Push it, push it, push it. Jesus called this to servanthood. How does that fit? That's the identity that we are to take on. Yeah, but then I, I might get crushed and I might get trampled. Jesus said that you might. But he said, don't worry about it. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. I would rather him take care of it than me to take care of it. The, and then you see it in society today. Mental illness, oppression, all this is replaced because we follow the prince of peace. And I love the word peace in Hebrew because it doesn't just mean peace is calm. It means wholeness. It means completeness. Could any of us imagine what it would be like to live an entire week in our mental realm where we felt whole and complete? That's the kind of life that I want. But see, all of this is through Jesus Christ. And the armor's all designed to help you get there, but it has to be centered and focused on Jesus. So the first thing we want to make sure is we know that Jesus Christ is the center of the shield of faith. Two, the second one is we want to figure out what are these flaming arrows that they're talking about. I mean, is it a new appetizer at Applebee's? The flame, uh, it sounds more like an Outback one instead of, you know, yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, but we want to figure out what these flaming arrows are, and they, <laughs> they may or they may not be what you imagine, but they are what you think, literally. We're going to get into that. And the flaming arrows that Paul is talking about in this, we're going to get into it more, it's any thought, idea, or suggestion that would move you off of that first point, having Jesus Christ as the center of your life. And then the last one we want to talk about today is, hey, how do, we, how do we use and care for the shield of faith? I mean, if I got it, I want to make sure that I'm taking care of it. I want to know, how do I need to use it? How do I take care of it? So let's get into it, because I'm excited for today, and we're going to finish off. We're going to take a, at the end of the, at the, end of the message, we're going to take a look at this exact circumstance for a character in the Bible, and we're going to see how they handled it, and how Jesus handled it. So the first one we want to get into with this is we want to talk about these flaming arrows. 
I think it's a good idea to know sometimes that if we're walking into a battle, you want to do some recon and know, hey, what am I walking into the battle to face, first of all? And I wanted to write this down because I wanted us to read it, and I love that we're already going, our eyes are going there right now, but again, the flaming arrows that we face today that Paul was talking about are thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that would move you away from your faith being in Jesus Christ. Anything to create an alternate truth to God's word of what you believe. Because this is what Satan wants. He wants to throw some things at you where all of a sudden I start to think differently than what God's word says about me. I want to start questioning promises that before, yeah, I, I may, those apply to everybody, right? Well, I, I don't know, but have I, does it really apply to me in this circumstance? He wants us to start questioning, is this really what Jesus wants me to do with my life? Is this the right thing that I should be doing in this circumstance? And see, Satan's goal is that if he can hit you enough with these flaming arrows to dissuade your thoughts and your beliefs from what the word of God says, he knows that you're going to be taking on an alternate truth to what God wants you to believe. Our thoughts, everyone say this, our thoughts are more spiritual than I realize. Your thoughts absolutely matter. They absolutely matter. What you do with your thoughts absolutely matter. And you see, the devil, his main attack is, here's the thing, Satan's not going to come at you with some big thought right away that it's like, there's no way that is true. But it's these little subtle lies that he wants to throw in towards us that change us. These little circumstances that he puts into our life that makes us question, what did God really say about this? What did God really say about me here? Should I, can I believe this? Have I done, is there something else that I should be doing? Why didn't I get that prayer answered? Why can't I hear from God whenever I do this? Because he knows that if he can keep you from a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, he can keep you ineffective. And man, that is what he is. He is an absolute liar. He wants to make sure that you are kept in a constant state of deception so that you do not realize all that God has for you. He doesn't want you to reach others with the same blessings that he has given to you and promised you. He doesn't even want you, he wants you to get to the point where he, you question yourself of whether or not you even deserve the blessings. But I'm telling you right now, Satan is a liar. Everything that is in this book, you deserve, not because of anything that you have done, but because of Jesus Christ. He is the great equalizer. Doesn't matter my past, doesn't matter how I was brought up, doesn't matter where I came from, Jesus Christ has set the playing field level for me that I can get all of it through him. But see, Satan knows that if he can keep you from it, the parable of the sower, just to give you a quick Quick, quick overview. Jesus was talking, he used the parable about a sower, and he talked about a guy that was spreading seed all over the ground. And some of the seed went by the road. And it's interesting, it says that whenever it went by the road, it says, he says the birds, of the birds of the air came and immediately ate it up. And then Jesus gave the example. He said, that's whenever the word of God is sown and someone doesn't understand it. And whenever they under, don't understand it, Satan immediately comes and steal it. And I'll add this, they didn't understand it and they didn't do anything with it. They just hurt him. I don't know what that means. And just passed it off. Well, Satan comes and just takes it out of there. Why? Well, I guess it doesn't apply to me. I don't know. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. 
He says that other, other of the, the seeds that were sown, it fell in the rocky places. And he said it took quick root, but then whenever the sun came out, withered away, got scorched. And Jesus said that's the equivalent of whenever somebody has the worries and cares in the life of their life. It comes over and overtakes it. And then it says others got, twist, it was under the, it got sown under the ground, but then thorns came up and choked it out. And he says that's the deceitfulness of riches. Worries of this world, the desire of what the world has to offer, it chokes it out. And you see, what Satan is going to do, guys, is he is scared of what happens if that word of God gets into your heart, and then it's good soil. Because Jesus says that whenever the word is received in, there's people that it it produces 30 times of what was sown, others 60, others 100, and that terrifies Satan. The last thing that Satan wants you guys to get is the word of God in your life to where you start to acknowledge that the word of God and what he says about you is more true than anything you're experiencing, anything that you're thinking. If you take that on, that's what he wants. Or that, if you take that on, that's the very thing he does not want. He is terrified if that lands in your heart. And, you know, he does everything, about, everything to try to push against it. It says in 1 John 2.16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life doesn't come from the Father, but comes from the world. And this is the hardest part for us to accept, that compared to God's truth, the truth of the world is just a perception. What the Bible says about who you are and what he has for you and what he wants, his love towards you, is more real than anything that the world can put out. But Satan, he doesn't want you to get that. So he's going to do his best that, here's a short list. He's going to do his best that he's going to use every thought, idea, and suggestion that he can throw at you to make sure that you're more focused on pain, problems, fear, Mental oppression, pride in your own life, lies, doubt, despair, failures, sin, hopelessness, anger, selfishness, separation. He wants you so focused on all these other things, and these are some of the arrows that he's going to throw at you. Why? Because he knows that if he can twist your thinking to go along with any of this stuff, He knows you're never going to really receive what God's word is meant to do in your life. And that's the one thing that he, again, I'm telling you, he is terrified if you'll take God's truth of his word and apply it to your life. And we're going to look at what some of that means to do in our lives. You know, I'll tell you this. The Holy Spirit is so good about tailoring God's word specifically to us. Because, you know, I, if you think about it, you have all these opportunities. You know, we, we talked about some of them. We talked about the Wednesday night, Wednesday night, or Wednesday night, Tuesday prayer. You know, we do, we do a small group here for men and women as well on, on Tuesdays. The Sunday morning service, we do a Bible app where we, we're reading the Bible together for a year. There's so many opportunities that God wants to speak to you. And the Holy Spirit will craft something very specific to your heart for you to receive. You see, I, this is the thing that I love about this, is whenever I read this, and I love this in, our, in our, Bible, our Bible app reading, is whenever you see 
I, you get to see in the comments, so many, there's so many rich ways of how God speaks to each one of us through it. And I love reading some of the comments and thinking, man, I, I never even thought of it like that. But see, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, is He wants to craft something specific to speak to your heart. He wants God's truth to be real and alive to you. Whether we accept it or not, that's the trouble. So, the first thing that we want to understand with it is the flaming arrows that are talked about in this are thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that would move you away from what the truth is. So if we know that, if we know that those are going to be the attacks that are coming through, then I think the second thing we need to do is we need to figure out, we have to know our defenses. And here's the shields of faith's purpose on the slide here. It's the filter to identify what is true and what you put your faith in. You can identify and know what is true what is and what is not truth. You see, because at the end of the day, what the shield of faith is really supposed to do, and we're going to get into it a little bit more, it's meant to be your line of defense so that whenever I hear something, whenever I think something, whenever I feel a certain way, it's meant to be what I put up and immediately that's my defense that I, is this thought true? Is this feeling what God says about me? If I'm thinking like this, does it say this in the Bible or not? You see, because some things we get, hey, they are truth, and we need to let them through. But it's almost like we need to kind of fine-tune that shield to make sure that we are hearing what is true and rejecting what is not. And it's an everyday activity. In fact, I'll, I'll, get, I'll tell you this. We do this, we do this on a, a daily basis with not just the things of God, not just spiritual things. We do it in general with everything. I'll give you a little example of how we can see our shields in action. So here's, I'm going to read a few statements here. And your, I want you to just judge what your reaction is to this. Okay? All right. First one. The sun occasionally rises in the west. Uh, no. I believe we have eons of proof showing that that is not, not the case. The sun rises in the east and always settles in a final location. Right? So all of us, pretty easy. We got that? Okay, we, we got it. Easy. But hey, shield of faith. Somebody tells you, nah, man, the, the next one. Criminal Minds and NCIS are terrible TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now some people are like, well, wait a minute. Like, is he talking about content? Is he talking about, like, acting? Other people are like, I've never seen that show. Let me save you time. Don't. No, no, I, it's always a running joke. I, I can't stand either of these shows. But if you, here we go. Here's maybe the shield in action. You said, well, that's your opinion. Ooh, hey, there's the shield. Am I going to let that through or not? Well, I don't know. Is that an opinion or is that really true? Well, I don't care. I'll just go with my opinion. I think they're great. Have we been on your research? Did you, did you, do you know anything about it? But see, we do this sometimes with truth or lies that come into our life. We really don't know how to form the opinion of it, so eh, maybe I'll just let that one go by. Or eh, I'm not going to do anything with that one. You know, but, okay, let's, let's, let's keep going, let's keep going. Here we go. The brain is made up of about 60% fat. 
we, we chuckled, but this one actually is true. <laughs> but we, you hear it, and you're like, wait a minute. Wait, for real? Like, isn't it a muscle or something? You know? What is the brain? I don't know. No, but, but here's the reaction we get, too. Sometimes we hear something brand new that we've never heard. It's something familiar. We all know what a brain is. I mean, for the most part. But I don't know what to do with this information. What should I, I guess I accept this as truth. It sounds, it sounds right. So maybe here's your shield. Now you go to the, the source. Well, Pastor Ben wouldn't lie about that, would he? Would I? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it's, here we are again. It's, well, then what do I need to do? If I don't know this information, well, then I should go find it out for myself. Paul actually encountered people like this. They called them the, the Bereans. Paul came and introduced Jesus to them, and their response to it was, we're going to search the scriptures to see if these things that you're saying are true. Man, those Bereans had some finely tuned shields of faith. They weren't just going to accept anything they heard. We're going to prove it out, and then we're going to accept it. And if it's not true, we're not taking it. But that's how we should have our defenses up. Okay, so the first three, all right, let's get into some real ones. The act of walking in love is greater in God's eyes than performing a miracle. I mean, hey, whenever I read Christmas Magazine, it's not talking about, you know, hey, Tom Armstrong, the entire week, he walked in love with his family all week this week, guys. Let's hear it for Tom. No. What? You're hearing about the testimonies, somebody being blind and then now seeing some miraculous sign performed. But if we read the Bible, we see that in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, look, I, I can do all these gifts. I can speak with the, the, the tongues of angels. I can do it all. I can give everything I have. I can give my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, it's worth nothing. You know, some of us, but here, here let's, let's modify our shield. Some of us think, man, I don't know how great I am in the kingdom of God. I've never laid my hands on someone and had them healed. I've never given a word. I've never had any of that. Have you walked in love? Have you crucified your flesh whenever your coworker said something to you, called you out in a meeting, and you know it's not true, and instead of just wanting to retaliate and tear their head off, you took the path of love? Because if you did, God considers that bigger value than the gifts of the Spirit in operation in your life. Man, I need to modify my shield sometimes. You know what I mean? Me walking in love, simply walking in love, is that great? Here's another one. Let's go to the next one. God does not love those that live in sin. Now here's, let me, let me, let me, let me give it to us. People that have maybe come from a rough past, but then be, they've been forgiven of a lot, their immediate reaction, no way, loves it all. The first thing they think of, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Says that Jesus Christ gave his life for us while we were still sinners. No way. No way, no way, no way. Now somebody else that has had the experience where they've been hurt by a Christian that is living in sin. 
And maybe there's some personal baggage they carry for themselves. They may take this statement and they may pause a little bit longer. And they may think, well, well, hold on. Maybe he shows favor more towards the people that aren't living in sin. I, I don't know. You see how easy it is that you can question something based on your own personal experience rather than going off of what the Bible says about something? Let's finish it off. God sees all sin equally. There's not a greater or lesser sin. Well, here we go. Whenever Jesus was given up to Pilate, he said something really interesting. He says, the one that gave me up to you has the greater sin. So is all sin equal? Well, whenever it comes to the blood of Jesus Christ, yes, because it nullifies it all. But why would Jesus say to Pilate, there's a greater sin that somebody has than you? Or in the Old Testament, why would we look and see that, man, somebody that steals from somebody else, if they get caught, well, the consequence is you've got to repay it. But the consequence, whenever somebody blasphemes the name of the Lord, is stone them to death. There must be a difference somewhere in it. But what we need to do is we need to find, well, what does, what does it really matter? What, what, is, what does this say? Not what I think, what does this say about it? And what do I need to hold to with it? Is it more important that I'm going around judging and thinking that, well, I don't know, that person's okay, Boy, that person, no way. Are you the one to judge? I'm not the one to judge. Jesus Christ is the one to judge. And I hear that his judgment is full of redemption and mercy. But here we go. All examples based on those statements of how each one of us can perceive what was said and take it a different way. The shield of faith is a really valuable thing and we have to have that thing honed in. Because if we're working with a fully perfected shield of faith, we're going to be able to know whenever we have a contrary thought to what, God, what the Word of God says or what God says about us, mm -mm, no, that's not it. Whenever we have a feeling, anyone ever have feelings? They're so rational, always right on, and at face value, right, every single time, yeah. Yeah, totally, all the time. But whenever we have that, we are able to immediately recognize, no, 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 this isn't it. And I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians. Man, I love this scripture because to me, it epitomizes exactly what this shield does. It says, we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. That means everything that we hear, every thought that we have, every feeling that we have, we need to take that and we need to examine it and think, is this what Jesus Christ wants me to be? Is this how he wants me to feel? Is this what I should believe? And I'm telling you what, I'm out, of, out of these pieces of armor, I feel like the shield of faith is the one that requires the most work. Why? Because every time I hear something or I encounter a new situation, a new problem, I need to examine, is my shield updated? Have I changed it to reflect what I really should believe in this situation? But see, whenever we're doing this, if we're doing this and we're taking every thought that comes through 
and we're bringing it to the obedience of Jesus Christ, we're going to be able to start thinking more intelligently about what we're hearing. And I'm telling you this, the moment that you start to actually capture your thoughts is the moment that the Holy Spirit is going to actually be able to talk to you about those thoughts. I don't know about you, but I used to, emotions are an interesting thing. Because you can feel a way and you immediately react. And sometimes before you've even recognized what you've done, it's like, I, I don't even know why, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't even know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Has anyone ever felt like that? You do something, it's like, I don't even know why I did that. I would challenge that you need to start taking the thoughts captive. Because I know for me, I would find that I would have an emotion and I would react, and my reaction was not even close to what my emotion was. I was like, well, what is going on here? Why am I allowing this to happen? I'm not taking the thoughts captive. I'm not taking those feelings captive. The suggestions, these ideas, I need to be examining them closely. So with our shield, there's a few things I want to look at. Just If we're going to actually use this and wield this, there's a couple kind of common problems that we can have with our shield. One of the common issues that we face as Christians is just a lack of knowledge about certain things. Maybe you're new to this, new to the game, coming to Christ, and you don't know about all the promises and everything that's in the Bible. You know what? You may feel like, man, that's a daunting thing to approach. You know what? The Holy Spirit's good. He's a teacher. He helps you. Jesus Christ, he loves you. He's going to encourage you on this, on this journey. And you know, it's important to be part of a body of Christ. Why? Because the body of Christ encourages one another. You might say, well, I don't feel very much encouragement. Well, who have you talked to? You know, whenever you come in, is it just, you know, I come in, you know, listen to the sermon, and man, I'm out in less than 90 seconds afterwards. And I don't know why I just don't feel connected to anybody. Don't come to the Wednesday night stuff, men's, women's group, ah, I can't make it on that. Well, sometimes we're a product of our own creation, but we never want to admit it. Sometimes we're a product of our own creations, but we don't want to admit it. But the Holy Spirit's so good. And if we're open to him, he will gently, methodically, he will speak to our hearts and guide us in the way of truth. But some of it, we have to become a little bit more knowledgeable of the ways that he wants to speak to us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it's saying here that we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching and by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. Man, Jesus dealt with this big time. He would go and try to teach people, and then what would, what would happen? The Pharisees would come back over and try to, yep, totally, totally twist what he said. Paul, Paul would do this. And in fact, you watch, you watch how important this is. If you feel like your thoughts are out of control, you feel like your feelings, your emotions are out of control, every thought, idea, every crazy thing of life is coming upon you, Part of the cure of it is knowledge. What does Jesus Christ say about all of these situations? 
Because what Jesus did is it says that he went about teaching and preaching in their synagogues and to the people. Even look at Paul. Whenever Paul went on his missionary journeys, he went through, and what did he do after he went through the first missionary journey? He went back and visited with teaching back to those churches. Why? Because for some of these churches, this was the first time they were encountering some of these ideas. So he wanted to come back and he wanted to reestablish what was already taught. He wanted to make sure that there wasn't some teaching that was out there that was twisting what he was saying. And in fact, that happened. The entire book of Galatians was written to that. Realizing that, hey, people are out there trying to twist this. I mean, like it isn't hard enough for myself. Like, I mean, really, for me to keep all of this straight, you know, I don't need somebody else coming with some bad ideas on top of it. I don't need somebody else coming and tempting me to do wrong. I'm well capable of figuring that out on my own. But knowledge is the cure. And the more knowledge that we gain of this, the more sure that we can start to identify those thoughts, those feelings, those ideas, those suggestions. No, 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 this isn't from God. This is not what he wants me to have. But we have to make the action to do it. it doesn't, it's never going to happen by accident. And it's a pretty tall order. In 2 Timothy 2.15, I think this, I think I put this one on here. It says, study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Whew, okay, that's a pretty high call. That, that was written for all of us. That's written for all of us. Why? Well, that's written with the understanding that if I know what's in here, I can defend myself from what's out there. You know, for some of us, it isn't just knowledge. Some of it is exposure. And here's what I mean by that. You say, well, I don't, I don't really know how, you know, I hear other people pray, but I, I really don't know how to pray like that. Or I don't feel like whenever I pray, I don't know, God, I really don't know what to say. God, I keep it simple. I don't really don't even know if I'm, God hears exactly what I'm saying. I don't know if I can even pray for some of these things. The solution is to expose yourself to more prayer. Why? Because the more prayer that I expose myself to, I hear how other people pray. I hear how other Christians pray. And I begin, oh, that's good. I mean, I'll be honest with you, our Wednesday night prayers, I love them. I love hearing how other people pray because sometimes it challenges me of, oh man, I never thought to pray like that. That's a really good, that's a really great point. Or maybe it stirs me up just like Jason said. I hear somebody else pray about something and it's all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, hey, you remember whenever I told you to pray about that and you didn't? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I need to do that. But the more we expose ourselves to the things of God, the more accustomed we are to identify the things of God. Good teaching. Hey, you know what? It's, it's all right to go and listen to other, to other sermons that are online. Why? Well, maybe, maybe somebody else has it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, one particular pastor. I always tell Amanda, whenever I do a sermon, I feel like I, feel like I get up and I, I, I write it. And it's like, okay, this is 90% correction and no encouragement. <laughs> like, I got to change something. 
So I'll go try to find a gospel preacher that is preaching something on that subject. Why? Because whenever I hear them do it, it's like, oh man, they are fired up. They're excited about this. They're encouraging the whole time. I need to change a little bit of what I'm doing with that. What am I doing? I'm modifying my shield so that whenever I think about that subject, I know what to filter in and what to keep out. Are we catching it today? Are we catching it? You know, one of the other problems that we have sometimes with the, the shield of faith is it's a gap of ignorance. And I want to explain this a little bit. One of the, one of the worst things that we can do is to hear God's truth given to us or hear correction given to us, not totally understand it, but never do anything to learn more about it. That is Satan's playground. It's Satan's playground and it's God's biggest handcuff. Why? Because he can't speak to someone that's totally shut their mind off to the issue. Yeah, I just don't believe that. Why? Have you read the Bible to figure that out? No, I just, I just, I just don't think that that's the case. I have a lot of thoughts too, but most of them are usually not the case. I mean, if I think about my own life, you know, I love, I love what's the quote by, by Mark Twain? I've suffered a great many tragedies in my life, most of which have never happened. Yeah. But it's such a true statement. We have all these imaginations about how things, well, oh, they think this, and, they, and this other person, you know, this happened, now they're thinking like this, and all these things are going on, and it's, none of it's true. None of it's true. But if we remain in a position of ignorance after we've heard something in the Word of God, we leave ourselves in a dangerous spot because Satan is able to throw in any other lie that he wants to mix into that to push you away from Jesus Christ. Guys, look, Jesus Christ is your biggest advocate. He gave his life for you. He wants nothing else for your life than for you to move through the life that you have well defended by him, knowing that your identity is totally in him, that he is able to provide you with every need that you have, physically, financially, emotionally, every realm of your life, he is able to do it. And he has an open hand waiting for us to take it. I, I'm convinced that God as a father weeps whenever his children refuse his help. He wants nothing more than for you to live a life that is beyond your imagination. It says in the Bible, he's able to do beyond all we can ask or think. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor is entered into the thought of man all that he has prepared for us. You have an unlimited God that wants to give you so much. The least we can do is try to find out how much that is. You know what, maybe you're sitting here and maybe there's some thoughts that you've been wrestling with in your mind for ages. And it's time to review them. It's time to put them back through the shield. Find out, are those flaming arrows that have just been stuck there, smoldering on you? Hey, you know what? Jesus Christ can take those out, heal that wound, and move you forward in a way that you never thought possible. It's available all the time. 
So sometimes we have to do our diligence that just because we don't like a subject in the Bible, just because we don't care to hear about that, doesn't mean that we, we're free of the obligation to know about it. We have to be, we have to study to show ourselves approved with it. You know, and another one, just want to throw this in there. Sometimes it's unrepentant sin that really messes up our shield. And here's how it messes it up, because you don't even know where to use it. And I find this, there's, there's a, a scripture in 1 John 1.8. It's right before, man, one of my favorite scriptures in, in the Bible, 1 John 1.9, talking about how he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and wash away all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to him. But verse 8 is a really good one. It says, if we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude and lead ourselves astray in the truth which the gospel presents is not in us and it doesn't dwell in our hearts. Now here's, I'm going to give you three levels. I feel like most Christians would be able to say, oh, we're all sinners, I've sinned, you know, we've, we've all, we, we, yep, I, absolutely, I am, I, I'm a sinner, I identify with that verse. Yeah, but are you letting the Holy Spirit speak to you about some of the hard attitudes that you've, you've had, some of the ways that you treat people, some of the ways you treat your family? Is that sin? Some of the conversations that you have, some of the shows we watch, some of the things that we do, are you willing to admit that that's sin and then let God change you on that? That's another level. How about this one? Oh yeah, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners saved by grace. Yeah, but when was the last time you actually apologized for offending somebody else? Well, you know what I mean? If I apologize to them, they're not even going to hear it. That's a good flaming arrow that you just let by. Because that's not your obligation. Your obligation is to follow Christ in his example. And see, what happens is if we let unrepentant sin in our lives, we won't even know where the attack's coming from because it says we live in darkness. And then we're getting hit. We don't even know where the attack's coming from. You know, to, before we get into the the last part of the, of the message here today, I do want to give, I want to give some, actually, you know what, we're going we're gonna to jump over, and I want to I show us some of this in action. We're going we're gonna to skip to the uh, story of Jairus back there on PowerPoint, so I'm going to skip down a little bit. And I want to take this from Mark 5, and if you, you don't know the story of Jairus, we're going we're gonna to read it here, but I want to give you kind of a live action of what some of this looks like. Mark 5 and verse 22, it says, One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her so that she would get well and live. Interesting, before we jump to the next one, let's keep on that first one. Interesting point on this. It says that Jairus was a synagogue official. So for him to even come to Jesus, Jesus is not his people so to speak. It's a different kind of religious sect on this. Because for the most part, the people in the synagogues didn't accept Jesus. So for him to come here, there's some serious implications. This guy's risking his reputation. And he has a pretty good reputation. I mean, if he's an official, he has a pretty good spot. And maybe that's some of us that 
we feel like there's parts of our life that we, hey, we got this under control. It's a good, it's a good place. But all of a sudden, whenever a point of desperation comes, we really get the exposure of what we have under control and what we don't have under control. And all of a sudden, we come to a place of, what am I really willing to sacrifice to make a change here? Now, we don't know the background of Jairus. We don't know that what he's heard about Jesus. We don't know if, how he came to the knowledge. All he knew is that Jesus was in the area, and he was desperate enough to do something. I'm telling you right now, for Jairus' shield of faith, he had to modify that to let some of that through. Because I guarantee you the rabbis and the other synagogue officials probably weren't on the same page with him. And we'll see later in this that they were not. But let's stick with Jairus here. It says that he went off with him, and then a large crowd was following him and pressed on him. And it says a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of physicians spent all that she had and was not helped, but rather grew worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up to the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I touch his garments, I'll get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving that power had gone forth from him, and I'm kind of paraphrasing to get through this, he turns around and he says, who touched me? The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing on you, say, who touched me? I'm sure Thomas was like, I doubt anyone touched you. You'll get it in a second. <laughs> he looked around to see the woman who, who had done it. The woman came in fear and trembling, aware that what happened to her, came down and told him all the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I will guarantee you, Jairus did not see this situation as some miraculous healing. I will guarantee you, his only thought was, why are we not moving through this crowd and getting to my daughter? Why? I came and asked him. This lady just came up out of nowhere. I got his permission for him to come. Why is she coming and doing this? What if we take too long and my daughter dies? Great, now there's a crowd. Everyone's going to see me. Bring him back to my house. There goes my position at the synagogue. Does Jesus even know how I feel? Why is he bothering to try to figure this out? Who cares who touched him? Let's just get to my daughter. Maybe he's at a point of saying, is there any power left in him? Or did she take it? But here's the thing. He doesn't know. But maybe we're in the same situation. Jairus, what if we take too long to get to my daughter? Maybe you have the thought, why won't these prayers that I ask for ever get answered? Doesn't God know I need it? Doesn't he know I needed it a year ago? Some flaming arrows coming in through those thoughts. Jairus thinking, why is the crowd coming with me? Maybe you think, why is it, God, that everything that I try to do never works out right? Why is it everything that I think is important to me, I have to give it up all the time? Why, God? Is this what you want? Do you want me to live in a life like this that I have to give it all away, throw it all away? Flaming arrow? Anyone? Does Jesus even know how I feel with this? Has anyone ever asked that? God, do you not understand how I feel? I have. I'll be honest, I have. Just trying to be real with us. Maybe even on the question of, is there any power left in him? Lord, why do other people experience your goodness and your blessing and your healing and I don't? What's wrong with me? 
Are these the thoughts? Am I being real with this? Because I've had the thoughts too. That if those thoughts are coming, I need to modify my defense. Because I find that whenever I modify my defense and find out what the truth of God is, it's not just my shield that gets better. It's me that gets better. Because now I'm at a deeper place in my relationship with Jesus Christ that I know what truth is. And here's the thing. Sometimes Satan will throw these things out just to test your defenses, to find out where exactly you're at with this. What will you bite on? What will you not bite on? But here's the next one that comes from, that comes from uh, if we could go back to verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking... They came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died, why trouble the teacher anymore? Bear in mind what Jairus just saw, what he could have just thought, and then this comes on top of it. Now that guy's shield of faith, I mean, like, it's not just arrows at this point. I'm sure he feels it's like mortars being lobbed at him. But think about it. What would he process this? And I love doing this in the Bible. I love reading a story and thinking, how would this human being actually feel? I mean, these aren't robots. These are people, just like you and me, with the same weaknesses. People that need the same Savior. Maybe Jairus thought, maybe there was some kind of thoughts of self-loathing with this. This is my fault. My daughter's dead. I should have come sooner. I knew I should have done this sooner. I knew I should have tried this sooner, and now look at it, she's dead. Maybe he has the question, I, he can heal people. I don't know, can he raise people from the dead? He doesn't know. We don't know, we don't know anything about Jairus of where he was at. All, all we know is he was a desperate dad that needed Jesus Christ. Maybe there was a the thought of, it's too late. There's nothing I can do to fix this situation. There's nothing he can do, it's over. Maybe there was fear there. Maybe he barely believed that Jesus could actually heal her and now she's dead. Now you're going to, but maybe we have the similar thought. God, I asked you to answer that prayer and it didn't happen. And now this is the new situation and I need you to do this for me? God, why would you do that to me? Is it a flaming arrow anyone's ever had pass through their mind? How about the self-loathing? I should have done this sooner. I know I should have done this sooner. I knew it. It's, and see, but these are the lies that Satan wants you to believe, that it's too late, that we can't reach it. There's nothing else that God can do in this situation. I mean, for Jairus, the guy's shield must have been at a limit. But here it is. Our Savior the creator of the universe, the word of God, the resurrection, the wife, the way, the truth, the life, the redeemer, the prince of peace responds back to Jairus and look at this. It says in verse 36, Jesus overhearing what was being spoken said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Jesus knew the state of where Jairus was. He knows the state of where you're at. He knows the problems, the struggles, the situations that you've encountered in your life. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your failures. He knows all of it. 
in the same words that he is speaking to Jairus back then, he speaks to you today. Do not be afraid, only believe. Remember what I said, this all comes back to Jesus Christ. He is our answer. You look through the Bible and there are literally hundreds of names that God goes by. Why? Because he is the all-encompassing answer for everything that you need in your life. And he is telling you today, modify that shield of faith so that whenever any lie from the enemy comes into your life, you can put it right up. That's not what my Savior says. That's not what my Savior wants for me. And whenever he challenges you, well, why didn't you get it? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Because I know that my God is faithful. My Savior is faithful. I'm telling you today, God wants you to change the thoughts that you let in, the feelings that you let in, the ideas that you've let come into your life for so long. He wants to modify it, change it, and renew it. He wants you to have a shield of faith that is able to block and protect you from the lies of this world so that you can identify with really what is true and go deeper with God in a relationship with him. Our shield has to be Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus did something interesting on this. In the verse before, it says that whenever they came from his house, they said, why bother the teacher anymore? His friends didn't believe in Jesus. They just called him a teacher. They didn't say the prophet. They didn't say the savior. They didn't even call him by name. Just said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus did something interesting. Here in verse 37, he said, he allowed no one to accompany him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official and saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. Entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child hasn't died. She's asleep. They began to laugh at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered where the child was. I think for Jairus, it's like, dude, it did not stop for this guy. Jesus tells him, only believe. He gets to the house and he sees they're already starting the funeral. They're already starting the funeral. It's over. It's done. What else am I going to do? And maybe we have that view sometimes of things in our life. We think it's over. It's done. There's no way that this can come back from this. This situation is so far gone. There's nothing I can do to change this. I don't, I don't even know how God can change it. Here's the beauty of it. He thinks in ways that you don't. He can change it. Just because you think there's one way that God can speak and move in your life, he is looking at 30 different ways to do it. Do not limit God by what we think he can and can't do. Open the door for him to do it. And Jesus did something interesting here. He put out the people that had unbelief. He got rid of them. And now I wonder how much that was done for Jairus. He knows this guy's hanging on by a thread. And Jesus is like, forget it. Move him out. And you know what? It's the same protection that Jesus Christ has for you today. That whenever you feel like you are alone and you are battered and there is nothing left, he knows where you're at. And if you allow him to give, if you allow him to take, if you allow him to protect you, he will. And even with Jesus, here it is, Jesus tried to reinforce the faith for Jairus again. Believe in me, she's only asleep, she's not dead. And what was the reaction that they had? They laughed at him. 
Don't tell me that that didn't weigh on him. Don't tell me that he didn't think how much ridicule he would have of coming back to his life after this. My daughter is dead. My position at the synagogue is gone. My friends think I'm an idiot. This is over. Is the guy facing some flaming arrows or not? Yes. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ is greater than all of it. And I'm telling you, there is no attack from Satan that you will have in your life that Jesus Christ cannot overcome. There's no position that you put yourself in that Jesus Christ cannot redeem, restore, and resurrect that in your life. There is nothing too far gone. You have not crossed the line. Jesus Christ is the redeemer. And there is, n- there is no place that you've gone that he cannot bring you back from. There is no anxiety, there is no problem, there is no pain that he cannot change if we let him. And here it comes in verse 41. Jesus takes the child by the hand and says, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. I am letting you know today, if you change and modify that shield of faith in your heart, if you modify that shield to what the Bible says, what the Bible contains, and the truth that he has, and I know that we're going over time, but you get, just give me a few more minutes. If you modify that for yourself today, you will be astounded at how God moves in your life. Here's a situation for Jairus where literally everything would have felt like it was lost. And I'm not talking about, oh, I didn't get the promotion. I'm not talking about, oh, I had an argument with my parents. I'm not talking about, oh, man, you know, uh, so-and-so was rude to me. Jairus was facing losing his position in life, his community, his daughter, all in the same afternoon. But how glorious is our Savior? So just, Jesus said to him, only believe. What we believe matters so much. Jesus Christ wants you to know how much he is on your side. He wants you to know his, his ability to restore, renew, and give you the things in your life that you want, that you need. He wants to give you a purpose. But you have to make that decision to believe. So if you're here today, and I'm going to give everyone the opportunity most important part of what we do. If you could just bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. If you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, maybe you're online and you're listening to this, you don't know this Jesus. He loves you. And he wants to spend eternity with you. In fact, he gave up his life for it on a cross. He died for your sins so that you don't have to die. He paid the price for all eternity. But the only way to get that is to give your life to him. So I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, or if you're listening online and you do not know Jesus Christ, there's a prayer that we're going to pray right now. And that prayer, I want you to repeat it with me. That prayer will change everything in your life. Let's pray this. Say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to save me. 
I believe in you. Protect me. Save me. Heal my life. I believe in you, Jesus, as my Savior. Amen. You know, as we go today, I want to encourage you. Take note of the thoughts that you have coming in. Know that there is a loving Savior that no matter what you face and what you feel, He is saying, just believe in me. Find out what the Word of God says about your situation in your life. And I guarantee you, you're going to see such an astounding change for everything.